Hello and welcome to the Back of the History Class podcast. I'm Jack Dance and today I'm joined by two very special guests, uh, Harry Bentley Bonzi. Hello. And Frankie Harrison. All right. And today the subject that we'll be talking about is the Jack the Ripper and Whitechapel murders. And this takes place between 1888 and uh, 1891. And um, this is part of the GCSE EdXL course. So if you're a student, this could be helpful, though we're not specialists. But still, there might be some interesting notes. So, obviously, the murders take place in Whitechapel. And so, Frankie, would you like to um, explain what the conditions of Whitechapel were like in 1888? Thank you, Jack. Um, in Whitechapel, a man called Charles Booth, did, uh, he conducted a survey on the conditions of which people were living. And he found that there was a lot, an awful lot of crime in Whitechapel. And uh, this included uh, overcrowded accommodation, which led to theft of personal property and domestic abuse. Uh, unreliable work or unemployment, which led to stealing and disruptive behaviour. Prostitution, which led to assaults on women and gangs intimidating women. Alcoholism, uh, which is pretty self-explanatory. Uh, workhouses, which led to, again to theft and other crimes committed by people desperate not to go to said workhouses. Yes, Harry. The uh, accommodation at the time that people lived in and could afford was known as a rookery, and it was a type of very, very, very cramped um, kind of bedroom dormitory accommodation, and it was made up of terraces of houses with hardly any space in, and quite often large families to one room. And uh, this meant that the conditions were actually really bad for police as well, because anyone could escape into a very crowded area very easily. Yeah, and the um, survey you were talking about, about Charles Booth that he conducted, Frankie, um, in Whitechapel, he also found that 35.7%, I believe, of the inhabitants of Whitechapel were living in direst poverty, which really speaks volumes about um, the area and uh, probably how hard it would have been for police to find uh, any suspects there. The other thing that would have made it very difficult for police to find suspects and also for people to live in in general was that Whitechapel was an industrial area and was completely covered in thick fog in almost all hours of the day. Uh, so this would have made it very easy for criminals to get away with, well, murder. And, of course, also would have been extremely damaging to the residents there. Um, yeah, and although uh, there is an issue of overcrowded housing and poverty, um, it wasn't all like this. There, um, somebody called George Peabody um, built, funded this estate, which was very modern, and it was quite rich, and uh, it replaced some slums. Jack, what do you think about that? Yeah, uh, I, about George Peabody uh, and the Peabody estate... Uh, the cost of living there, I believe, was um, nearly half of the weekly wage um, of a labourer, a low-end labourer in uh, Whitechapel at that time. So it gives you sort of a, a, a picture, let's say, on um, you know how people would have to pay a lot to live in these conditions. So obviously it's a breeding ground for crime, among other things. Yeah, Frankie? Um, one of the most famous examples of work in Whitechapel was the Bell Foundry, which is a workhouse, and lots of people would do anything to avoid going to this workhouse to make money, such as stealing and begging. So, yeah, yeah. that was a big issue in Whitechapel. Yeah. And that started making police investigation in the area very difficult. There was obviously very widespread crime. There was very widespread motives. 
and there was also very much a sense of the desperation there being so kind of acute that it would make sense if anyone was a suspect. That's why there were so many as the um, conspiracies went on and partly why it was so difficult to find suspects for Jack the Ripper. Yeah, and you were saying, Frankie, about um, sort of the jobs that are available. So you've got the Bell Foundry, you've got the dockyards, obviously, yeah. um, and you've got uh, sweatshops. And the thing about most of these uh, also retail shops that would have been there is that at the time there would have been uh, gangs, mainly from Eastern European communities and other stuff like that, um, that would have made gangs and they were paid by the shopkeepers to make sure that their shop wasn't trashed by them. Um, and that really speaks volumes to the sort of the crime epidemic that would have been in Whitechapel at that time. And um, would you like to speak about some of the uh, about the immigration to Whitechapel at um, that time? Frankly? Yeah, I'll get on to that. But I was just going to mention that sweatshop workers, uh, they'd work 20 hours a day and they sort of slept on site because the wages were low and it was very cheap rent to rent one of these sweatshops, Harry. Uh, in particular, these jobs are generally carried out by, as Jack said, European migrants. And there was a very large Jewish community that had fled from the pogroms in Russia at this time. And uh, there was a thinking that the kind of desperation with which these people were faced um, was partly why they'd be able to work such low hour and low reward jobs when um, some of the English people might not have done. And naturally, this did build some resentment between the communities, which also made the police investigations harder. Um, there was quite an influx of Irish immigrants at this time as well, because uh, the Irish population was expanding rapidly in the East End. And many were looking to uh, sort of move on to America, but didn't have the sufficient funds to sort of do so. Yeah, and as Harry said, this amount of immigration uh, certainly would have caused tensions within Whitechapel and the East End and um, this was further sort of amplified by Bloody Sunday which was um, which took place in 1887 and it was originally uh, a protest in Trafalgar Square which turned incredibly bloody when the police arrived and uh, this caused a lot of resentment towards the police within the East End which essentially caused uh, a lot of problems for them down the road as it meant people were less willing or um, resentful or even uh, anxious about talking to the police about what they may have seen. Uh, it certainly made the investigation a lot harder for um, the Metropolitan Police H Division. Um, Frankie, have you got something to add there? Um, I was going to say that during this time as well we see a massive growth in uh, anarchists because um, from the middle of the 19th century uh, social and economic problems across Europe caused a bit of political tension which sort of resulted in anarchy and along with this we see uh, growth as well of socialists which is linked to the rise in anarchists. Um, uh, yeah, Harry. Well, and... Uh, through these kind of views, it would make sense that there'd be more suspicion towards authoritative figures such as the police. And uh, as this suspicion grew, there also ended up being more tension in the police departments themselves, um, there being a sense of competition between different departments. And this ended up being particularly destructive in the investigation, as later on some pieces of evidence were actually destroyed by the police in order to stop competition. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And also, um, the police... As, uh, at that time would have been in its very early days of uh, making um so not the you know the crack force of uh 
Victorian England that you would call upon to solve every single murder. And certainly adding to that, um, the head of the Metropolitan Police at that time uh, would have uh, was Charles Warren, I believe, and he was a former army general, um, which sort of says the sort of man he is, quite hard line. Um, so I believe his involvement in the cases was... Uh, did help to make sure the Ripper, Jack the Ripper, escaped um, purely out of just neglect. Um, but yeah, that, so the Metropolitan Police at that time, not in great shape. There was only, I believe, 13,000 officers um, compared to the 2.5 million uh, population of Whitechapel. So not that many uh, policemen to cover. Yeah, Harry? Was the H Division particularly funded in the way that that was kind of distributed by Charles Warren? Um, I don't believe so. And I believe, well, the police itself wasn't that funded back then anyway. So especially in White, uh, the, with the H Division covering Whitechapel, you can imagine for quite a destitute area, it's not going to be masses of money flowing into the police force of um, that specific district. So you can imagine um, you haven't got the highest quality of technology um, of that force back then. Um, so I think now it would be prudent to move into the murders themselves. Uh, there were five in total. Um, Harry, uh, do you want to go through the first murder of Mary Ann Nichols? Well, uh, if it's all right, I might start off with um, some kind of preliminary notes. And that is... Yeah. Um, that it's expected or thought that um, perhaps Jack the Ripper might have murdered some people at an earlier date. An example being Martha Tabram, who was found stabbed to death in a type of hotel called a Doss House. But the first official count that we have is that of Mary Ann Nichols, as Jack said, who was found on the 31st of August in a street called Bucks Row. And she had been slashed at the neck and brutally mutilated in a way that was unheard of and completely extreme and this instantly caused a stir in the police and uh, another thing about this sort of heinous crime was that it was quite possibly a sexual motive which scared all the prostitutes that were working out of Whitechapel which was a considerable amount yeah um, that was because obviously um, it had been found that her uterus had been stabbed quite deeply um, which is not usually found in some sort of any other um, murder, um, which indicates, you know, the theory that the person who committed these crimes was like a modern-day incel, um, clearly had some sort of violent ideas about women, which um, certainly very wrong, and preyed upon uh, prostitutes working late at night in um, East London to fulfil this. But yeah, Harry? It was also very much the case that these prostitutes had very, very little um, money and general privilege at all. Um, all of the Ripper murderers had been pushed into prostitution by divorce, by children, and by general lack of being able to find work. And that was quite a common story for women of more or less all ages. Um, there was a large building in Whitechapel that was particularly known for prostitution. Uh, women would go to the steps there and from the steps could then find people who were willing to pay for them. Yeah, and Harriet, with the Marianne Nichols murder, when they found her body and um, took it to the um, autopsy, 
uh, wasn't there something really striking about the way that the killer had gone about the murder that indicated some sort of knowledge of previous medical uh, experience? Well, they found that she had had her intestines removed, and uh, this was this did indicate that there was some uh, knowledge of the body and its and its own kind of functions because for something as kind of integral as that to have been removed it indicates a, a prior knowledge. Sorry everyone, we got a bit of a uh, lorry outside that's doing a bit of reversing. Yeah, it's clearly not very well versed in the knowledge of Chat the Ripper. So yeah, definitely. That. Don't listen to lorries, guys. Just listen to us. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, obviously, uh, not long after... Uh, the first murder of Marianne Nichols, about seven days later on the 8th, 8th of September, uh, Annie Chapman was found in the backyard of 29 Hanbury Street in Spitalfields. Harry, would you like to go in more depth about that murder? So um, she had been uh, found as around 5am in the morning um, by the entrance to a... Um, to a kind of used lodgings. And um, she had been uh, left there, presumably since the early hours of the morning, um, with the same signs, a slashed throat. She had had her intestines removed, and she had been deeply, deeply mutilated. Um, her abdomen had been slashed. And it seemed that a similar design of blade had been used in this murder, as it had been in the last one. Um, and her body had also been partly covered, which indicated that the murderer had possibly learned from what had happened before and helped himself not get caught. And uh, it was also at this point that the cases started to then take on a sort of notoriety. Uh, even though the press coverage was still fairly low at this point, the fact that there had been multiple showed that there was a particular motive and a particular killer around. Um, was it this this murder that all those letters started to pour in towards the Metropolitan Police, yeah, Frankie? Um, no, not at this point, because um, they're still referring to this killer as Leather Apron, because that is what the prostitutes that were around described this man as, because they couldn't see like his face and they only saw this Leather Apron, so that's that, hence why they call him Leather Apron. This apron was also found very close to her body in particular. That is a truly inspiring play on words, isn't it, Frankie? They called him Lever Apron because he had a Lever Apron. It's a bit of a stroke of genius, Jack, if I do say so. Yeah. And it's a wonder the police didn't catch him, actually, <laughs> but that's <laughs> all the truth. <laughs> <laughs> looking for someone with a Lever Apron, if anyone has seen anything suspicious. But if you think about it, how many guys are you going to see in the street wearing a Lever Apron? The is butchers of Whitechapel must have been quivering. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, so yeah, obviously... Um, Annie, Cha uh, Annie Chapman there found dead on the 8th of September and then um, a little bit later uh, the 30th of September in uh, Berners Street Elizabeth Stride's body was found Frankie, have you, uh, do you know anything about that? Um, it's not really my uh, speciality so I'm going to hand it over to Harry Okay, well this murder in particular was part of one of the most shocking things in the Jack the Ripper case and it was the first of two murders in a night known as the double event. Um, Elizabeth Stride had been murdered, uh, strangled to death, and was in the process of being mutilated 
when a man came down from his lodgings to see a man standing over her body. And at this point, it was, as I say, more, no more notorious in the area. And so at that point, he realized what was happening and went to go and find the police. When they returned, the man had left. And at this point, the uh, police had gone on to further alerts and had gone round um, on patrol throughout Whitechapel. And this caused particular outrage because despite that, later on that night, Catherine Eddowes was found. And the mutilations on Catherine Eddowes are completely horrific in a way that none of the ones beforehand had ever been. Her body had been so destroyed that when they took pictures for the autopsy, she had to be held up by a meat hook. She had been cut open. She had had her intestines removed. She had had her kidneys removed. And she had also had parts of her lungs and heart removed. And she had also had stab wounds all across her body. Yeah, r truly vicious murder, um, both of them. And yeah, as you said, the times in which they were reported um, means that the killer could have reached both in one night. Um, certainly using the, the plethora of back alleys uh, that were available in Whitechapel at the time, it wouldn't have been hard for someone who knew the area to be able to get around um, there. Uh, Frankie, have you got something? Um, after these bodies are found, um, another police force, the City of London Police, joins forces with the Metropolitan Police to sort of make this process of finding Jack the Ripper uh, quicker. And, of course... Uh, uh, very much later on, um, on the 9th of November, probably, I would say, I know Harry said it, but this is probably the most shocking murder of the lot. Uh, Mary Jane Kelly was found dead inside 13 Millers Court on Dorset Street, Spitalfields. Now this... It, I, basically, I suggest don't look at the pictures of the murder. Oh, they're they're horrible. They are. It's brilliant. No, it's not brilliant, frankly. It's terrible. Yeah, and, it's and it made horrible. Harry very squeamish back in year nine. So. Oh, it definitely did. Nightmares and everything. But that is why you've tuned into this podcast, let's be honest. So just to confirm, do not look at Mary Jane Kelly's picture of her body because it is terrible, very terrible. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, she was another prostitute uh, working at home, I believe. Uh, working from home, sorry. Um, and unfortunately, it's met the wrong man. Yeah, and to say she was mutilated is perhaps an understatement because her breasts have physically been cut out and put on the table next to her and her face has been mutilated beyond recognition. So much so that there are actually visible scars on the skull. And on top of this, the entire inside of the torso had been removed and there were also stab wounds all across genitalia and the general area around there. See, um, because the massive time gap between the Mary Jane Kelly murder and the Catherine Eddowes and Elizabeth Stride murder, you'd possibly be led to believe that this probably wasn't the same killer. But again, the brutality of the murder sort of almost suggests that it is the same person that's committing these, wouldn't you say? There does seem to have been a progression, and each time there seems to have been more, and uh, a general kind of growth in confidence, and uh, this is partly why people have suspected that it's the same person. And also, um, it's likely that he wouldn't have been caught, because the police investigation following Catherine Eddowes' death had been fraught with problems. Um, a piece of graffiti saying about the innocence of Jews had been, which is thought to be attributed to Jack the Ripper, 
had been actually scrubbed away by the police in order to mean that the evidence was for the Met and not for any other um, orders. And also there was um, letters into the police and a piece of kidney. Um, and this was addressed from Jack the Ripper. And the kidney at first was expected to be that of an animal. But it's now thought that actually it was that of Catherine Eddowes because the kidney had evidence of alcohol damage. Uh, Jack the Ripper claimed to have eaten the rest of it. Nobody knows how true that is, but it does seem like for the brutality it might be within character. I think as you were saying about the Metropolitan Police, um, the Metropolitan Police, uh, like just before Jack the Ripper emerged, was sort of known as like your friendly policeman who you could go up to, and they were called Bobbies. And um, they were there to sort of help out, like, oh, where's the, uh, where would I find um, my house? You, it's like, along the road, turn left. And that is what a policeman at that time was sort of expected to do. So there was a l- serious lack of funding in detectives and that sort of serious crime unit. You know what, Frankie? I've never, ever heard anyone turn to a policeman and go, right, mate, do you know where my house is? <laughs> no, I don't, mate, because I don't live there. Put on the spot, put on the spot, that's all. <laughs> Anyway, so there there were a couple other murders after those um, five, uh, but those five themselves have been all directly attributed to being Jack the Ripper's murders. But there was a couple other afterwards in the um, over the next two years, um, but they've been suspected to be by done by Jack the Ripper, sort of not. Uh, there's a lot of arrests made, but really no concrete evidence has really be, ever been found. So still to this day, it remains a mystery. But of course. Uh, with mysteries, we have theories. So, time to delve into some of the theories of the identity of the mysterious Jack the Ripper. Um, lads, do you want me to go first? Please do, Jack, please do. Right, the first one is Carl Feigenbaum. Um, nice name so far, I approve. Yeah. Uh, he was a German sailor who was executed for murdering a New York woman in 1894. Um and what is it thank you but Jack <laughs> <laughs> but Jack if this person is in New York how on earth did they come to England that is an amazing question Frankie and here's why <laughs> okay um, he had been a merchant seaman for the Norddeutsch Line which owned ships that had been docked near Whitechapel on every date of the five Ripper murders he also, the detective who was in charge of Feigenbaum's case, yeah. also discovered that Feigenbaum's defence lawyer had reached similar conclusions more than a century ago, telling newspapers that his client had admitted to being a serial killer and that he could place him in Whitechapel during Jack the Ripper's killing spree. It's looking hopeful, this guy, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Yeah. I mean, we're not detectives, so we can't really put a silver yeah. stamp on this. But Frank, uh, Harry, yeah, you got another one? A uh, far less uh, credible one was that perhaps uh, the Ripper was the uh, grandson of Queen Victoria, uh, Eddie, as he was known. I believe and his name was Prince Albert Victor, actually. Well, <laughs> <laughs> uh, the Duke of Clarence and Avondale uh, is also known as Eddie. And uh, his and uh, he's been thought of as a suspect for a long time because uh, it was discovered in the 1880s that he had syphilis and this could have induced psychosis that led him to murder Ripper victims. And a, um, another theory was that uh, it, might, it might have been a cover-up of an affair and the women who he murdered were um, people who have known the truth. Uh, I personally think it's a bit... 
It's yeah. a load of rubbish, isn't it? Let's be honest. Yeah, I mean, if you want these people out of the way, you might as well pay them off or something. You don't have to, <laughs> yeah. you know. Especially as you're Prince Albert Victor. I know, yeah, exactly. Surely. Or Eddie, Ooh. if you will. Yeah, if you will, if we're informed. Um, one interesting suspect is, who I like is the only female suspect in the cake. Cake? The <laughs> <laughs> A certain Jill the Ripper, would you like? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I meant Gase. <laughs> um, and this suspect was called Mary Piercy, who was convicted of murdering her lover's wife, Phoebe Hogg, what a name, in 1890, and then was hanged shortly after, which explains why um, there was no significant other murders past a certain point. Yes, Harry. Um, well, perhaps there's also uh, Aaron Kosminski, who is described as insane and a misogynist and had been confined to an asylum at the time that the murders stopped. And mm. he also resembled a man who was near the Mitra Square when Catherine Eddowes was murdered. However, don't get fully into this because <laughs> I'm on the edge of my seat, <laughs> Aaron. Sorry, I can't, I can't help do it. that to us, Frankie. <laughs> please <laughs> calm down. Sorry, um, well, there was a lot of anti-Semitism in the investigation, and uh, Aaron Kosminski was a Jew. So, what we might be able to expect is that there was some discrimination there. Yeah, and um, it's I safe to assume, isn't it? Yeah, it, it, it is. Yeah, and I, I think I can uh, sort of say this one I think this is a possible candidate lads if you're H.H. Uh, H. Holmes one of America's first serial killers could he also be the Ripper oh my god yeah. Jack tell us more he was responsible for killing as many as 200 people in the late 19th century Two, well okay yeah. carry on he, um, he built a factory of death complete with a gas chamber dissection room trapdoors, and a basement furnace to destroy any trace of his sinister work certainly not a man you'd want around for tea he's is a bit it? of a disturbed yeah. man by the sound is of he things. famous for wearing leather aprons though Jack I, I, I'm, I don't believe he is frankly exactly is that is the it is a hole it's that a hole. is the hole in your plan there which does throw a spanner into the works because I did hear that Prince Albert Victor or Eddie did love wearing leather aprons there you go Harry's um, lost it anyway H.H. Holmes <laughs> He was arrested, convicted, and sentenced to death. And some ripperologist, like yourself, Frankie, oh, believe yeah. it wasn't Holmes. He was executed in 1986. Nope. Just 1896. 1896. Sorry. Just his identical twin. And eh? that his spree wasn't limited to the United States. Holmes' own great-great-grandson, Jeff Mudgett, believes that his ancestor was also Jack the Ripper, based on a series of diary entries. Sorry, Jack, can you say that name again, please? Jeff Mudgett. Anyway, what a name. In which Holmes purportedly outlined his involvement in the Whitechapel murders. I personally don't believe that one. I think How could you not believe the word of a well, serial killer, Harry? Yeah, I think yeah. he's the type of guy who would write in his diary that he was Jack the Ripper. Um, yeah. Personally not convinced. No evidence. Yeah. Dismissed. So no, no leather apron. Ah, no. <laughs> let's, uh, let's, give the, let's give the ones that we've um, just talked about a rating of believability. So starting off, Carl Fiegenbaum. Oh, I do like a bit of Fiegenbaum. He was uh, there. He was there. He was in East London. I'm going to give him an 8 out of 10. What about you, Harry? Um, I've got a, re a, a no, We're not rating him, we're just rating the <laughs> believability. Yeah. I'd Look, I've got a degree of suspicion. I'm going with a six. I'm going to give him a 7.5. Oh. Judicial. He's killed women. So, 
What more do you want? All right. No, sorry. What more do you want? That, that was a poor point choice of words. Right. The, the uh, next one I discussed was uh, Aaron Kosminski, I believe. No, it wasn't. It was Prince Albert. Victor. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Eddie, if you will. Uh, can we have some um, some appreciation for Eddie? Based on the fact he liked leather, leather, uh, leather aprons. He Hello. didn't, He didn't. He didn't, actually. Oh, you lied to me. <laughs> you lied to me, Harry. You know how impressionable I am, don't you? Right, okay. I'm thinking Prince Albert Victor. Four. Three. Nowhere near. I'm saying two. He doesn't I'm make it into my further, team. Actually. Okay, right. Right, next one. What do we think? Jill, wait, wait. Jill the Ripper. Yeah, Jill that's what I was getting on to, Harry. Right, Frankie, what are you thinking? Mary Piercy. She she does have a uh, convicted murder which was in the same style as Jack the Ripper. Just just saying. So I'm thinking an eight on this one. Four. Five. What? <laughs> <laughs> Aaron Kosminski, everyone. Two. Two. Are that no. No, okay. no I'm gonna give it. Only joking. Only joking. Eight. Eight. I'd say. Eight. Yeah. Believable. Okay. Believable. Yeah. I'm gonna give it. Misogynist. Yeah. I'll give him an eight as okay. well. And uh, another one to toss in the pot before we H. go H. on H. Holmes. H. H. Holmes. <laughs> no, no, before we go on to H.H. H. Holmes, might be uh, Jacob Levy, who was a witness at uh, Catherine Eddowes' death and um, was also a butcher. So, Ooh. Yeah. Ooh. My leather hair... My your <laughs> <laughs> leather hair is standing on edge. No, my leather apron hairs are standing on edge. Leather apron is a quite a hard phrase to say, isn't it? To yeah, be I just said leather, leather hair. Yeah. Apron. <laughs> anyway, leather my leather apron hairs are standing on edge with that information. Yeah. Right? So I am deeply convinced. We think we're thinking eight, nine for Jacob Levy. Six one five. Six Seven. Six point five is a bit low. I could say what I want, mate. <laughs> Hey, come on. Seven. So, so, all right, okay. And H.H. Uh, Holmes, final one. Massive serial Ooh. killer. Said he was there. I don't believe it. I don't believe it, Jack. I'm giving it a five. Mm. It's a nice story, isn't it? You know, it sounds all quite good. Yeah. I personally give it a two. Oh, my oh God. Jesus. Someone's He's ruthless, isn't yeah, he? he is, he is. So, um, well, that brings us to the end of the... White Chapel murders, and uh, up next, Frankie, I believe, is your, <laughs> your little extract. <laughs> we've, got it, we've got we've got Ari. Look at listen to this, right? We've worked on a little theme song. Are you ready? Okay, go on. Go on. Um, Frank is history time. <laughs> boom, boom, boom. <laughs> history never felt so good. <laughs> so good. So good, so good. I'd be inclined <laughs> bum, bum, bum. to tune in now for some fun facts about coins. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Frankie's history on the coin, everyone. Yeah, thank you, everyone. Oh, actually, I've just lost, my, just lost my page. Bear with. I've used it to go on the... There we go. Right, are we I, ready? Only br- I only bring on the top guests right. on this show. <laughs> <laughs> are your ears strapped in, everyone? Because they're going to be taken for the ride of their lives. Okay. <laughs> Number one. A penny costs 1.82 pennies to manufacture, which, are, which equals 69 million pound de- dollars of debt. <laughs> what do we think of that? Is it worth to manufacture them, is the question. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, I'm... I, 
just going to throw this out there, Frankie. Um, is that something historical about Penny? Is it something that's affected people? Yeah. <laughs> it is. Where's that 69 million gone, Jack? <laughs> it's evaporated. It's gone to dust. Yeah, it is history. It's costing right. more to make them. Yeah. In 1987... Here we go. An 18-year-old freshman called Mike Hayes um, put a little advert in a paper saying, give us 1p to cover his, um, his tuition fees. And uh, he got 2.8 million. I don't believe that. I don't believe it. Oh, right. Hang on. Where was it? (laughs) (laughs) He cracks under suspicion. Uh, (laughs) I've read read that a bit wrong. (laughs) I gave that like a ton of bricks. (laughs) He raised 28,000 by collecting a penny from 2.8 million people. Oh, brilliant. That might have been a little bit of an overstatement, do you think, Frankie? (laughs) Sorry, Harry, in hindsight. 28 grand? Not bad. Not a bad haul. Exactly. That's his tuition fee paid. That is a very fun history coin fact, Frankie. So if you ever need uh, £28,000... Go around, yeah, go around what year was that, Frankie? Uh, 1987. That is history for you. Yeah, and 200 years prior, in 1787, the first design for the penny had the inscription, Mind Your Business, on it. Can we have an explanation <laughs> as to why? <laughs> no background, that's the story. <laughs> that's the end of it. Uh, Frankie, it, it wait, wait, wait. Do you have any thoughts as to why that might be? You know what? Who knows what, go- what was going on in Benjamin Franklin's mind in 1787? Benjamin Franklin? He was American, Frankie. Come on. This is pennies, so this is, this is all American, I'm afraid. Okay. okay. Yeah. <laughs> Carry on. Okay. Well, I don't believe that Isambard Kingdom Brunel was American, was he, Frankie? Um, you're definitely right there, Jack, and I will get on to that later. Um... 16 pennies stacked equals one inch. <laughs> 16 pennies in a line equals one foot. Really one valuable <laughs> stuff on this podcast <laughs> yeah. for you guys. Okay. Uh, your GCSEs, uh, it'll make or break you, won't it? Yeah. This is the difference between an eight and a nine. You know how many pennies makes one foot uh, right. distance. Right, so that's, that's some facts about the penny. All right. Okay, it's a history now. This is a history podcast. Yeah, hang, I can't hang believe on, I brought these people on. I have, sorry, I have got some coin jokes, actually. Okay, well, that's all right then. <laughs> sorry, who let you in? Who's let you into this podcast? You, actually, Jack. Yeah, I did, actually. Yeah. I thought it was being. The right. theme song has been the best thing that, so far. Yeah, yeah. I, to be honest, this has backfired a little bit, really. But right, are you ready? Are you ready? On. <laughs> Why was the zinc. <laughs> 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 carry on, carry on, come on, come on. Why was the zinc scent arrested? <laughs> what is the zinc scent? <laughs> is a scent made out of zinc? Why does this joke assume that zinc scent is a common phrase in circulation? <laughs> like, we'll just be like, yeah, okay. The zinc scent was sent to prison for such and such a reason. Do you want to know the like answer? a cult hero of some kind. Yeah, you know, the exactly. zinc scent. Oh, yeah, have you heard of zinc scent? You've heard about the zinc scent? Be in the back of Frankie's CD cupboard. Anyway. <laughs> anyway. Uh, why was the zinc scent arrested? Because someone called the coppers. <laughs> <laughs> of course, money is made out of zinc and copper. <laughs> so don't say we never taught you anything here. <laughs> right. 
Why does the steel scent? <laughs> <laughs> Why is this with different metals and then scents? I don't know. Harry. This is metal puns. chemistry podcast. This is yeah. metal puns. This isn't penny puns. <laughs> what does the steel? Oh, why does the steel scent never lose in a fight? I don't know. Because it's made of steel. That is awful. <laughs> Right. <laughs> That's like me saying, why does the steel door never lose in a fight? Because it's steel. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. Why does the steel battleship never lose in a fight? Maybe this is like a one-size-fits-all joke. <laughs> right, you know? okay. If right, you need a joke. Harry, no. I'm going to wrangle this in now. Okay. Frankie, right. get this joke. I need something historical. Give me into Mark Kingdom well, Brunel. Well, Jack, isn't Mark Kingdom Brunel on the 3rd of April, 1843? He was uh, amusing some children by doing magic tricks. When sudden... <laughs> oh, how times have changed. As you do, yeah. as you do. Sorry, this um, famous engineer was entertaining children with magic tricks. It's, it's written down, See, Jack. It's written end. down. He yeah. built the Tamar Bridge and thought, oh, God, yeah, what am I going to do now? Yeah, yeah. Uh, this talent doesn't translate. Yeah. <laughs> right, I'm right. going to have to stick a coin in my Thank mouth. Thank you, Jack. Thank you. May we calm down, please? Um, well, he was amusing some children by doing conjuring tricks, one of which involved placing a half sovereign in his mouth. That must have been very entertaining for them. Just seeing, well, <laughs> just seeing gulp a penny <laughs> in his mouth. Well, <laughs> watch this. <laughs> well, unfortunately... He sounds like a complete idiot. Oh, Jack, what's this disappearing trick? I'm going to put it in my mouth. It's going Jack, to go. please, <laughs> please, let me finish. Oh, it's a comedy, right. Carry on, Frankie. Well... The coin slipped behind his tongue and he inadvertently swallowed it. Uh, maybe he had to recover his act a bit there. Maybe he went <laughs> in, he broke up the old, uh, how does a steel penny win a fight? Yeah. It's made of steel. <laughs> I mean, it's to the point. Good though. save, Isambard. Good save. Yeah. <laughs> I think, um, to be honest, I think he's more bothered well, about choking on a penny. Well, nowadays. Did he die, Frankie? Well, I'm getting on to that, Harry, actually. Nowadays. He would have gone for an x-ray and, ever, and they'd get it and they'd whip it out. But of course, the technology wasn't available in 1843, I think I said. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and so he, he went on a... He built himself a little contraption which would flip him upside down. Of course. And the coin came just straight out. It's like a Looney Tunes cartoon, isn't it? It is. It? It is. Like, yeah. Yeah. Physics doesn't seem to just... <laughs> it doesn't matter, does it? Yeah, yeah. it doesn't. Right, so, yeah. um, well, I hope those children were entertaining. <laughs> a, poor, okay. a poor magic trick. Did he construct it in front of them as well? Did he make them come along? <laughs> yeah. did he Honestly, Jack, I wasn't there. I don't, I don't know. All right, guys, Maybe love he was this. just a child entertainer gone wrong. Maybe yeah. like, Kids, you'll love this. Look what I've just built. Exactly, you know. Um, New bridge. They, uh, they want to see that zinc penny come flying out his mouth. Yeah. Yes, they do. Frankie, is, uh, is that the end? I might finish with one more zinc, uh, uh, one more joke, actually. <laughs> Make it a good one. Make it a good one. Come on. Um, Look, not the steel one. It's got to be more effort than that. Okay, let me let me uh, let me have a little think. Um, right, are you ready for this? I am. Why was the war nickel unarmed when it fought? What is a war nickel? <laughs> <laughs> 
why do all your jokes do this? You just invent phrases and then expect us to go along with it. That's to be my war nickel, Frank. The war nickel, unlike the uh, you know the regular the, nickel. The peace nickel. <laughs> Mate, I'm on coincommunity.com. Nickels. These are, they're all linked. The whole thing is linked. <laughs> it's all it's all together. Don't blame me, Harry. Blame coincommunity.com. <laughs> yeah, I'm not visiting this site. I've got advertisement. Coincommunity. <laughs> go on, go on. Tell, tell the right. point on. Why was the war nickel unharmed when it fought? Don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, right. Anyway. We don't know what a war nickel is. He used his best friend, the shield nickel, for protection. What? <laughs> no, <laughs> no. Right, and on that, we're ending this podcast. What? Because that is terrible. This is that another is one size fits all. I told you not to do this. <laughs> I can say. You know, said make it a good one, and you pulled out this. Why right. did the war plug not die? Because he got his shield plug to. to what is this? Yeah. What is this? <laughs> I'll do better next time, guys. Brave of you to think there'll be a next time after those nickel jokes. Stay well away from coincommunity.com. Please, Jack, this is all I've got. This is all I've got, this podcast. This is not a plug for coincommunity.com. And with that, uh, it's going to be a goodbye from us. Frankie, Harry? Uh, Goodbye. Bye, chaps. And uh, we'll see you in the next episode.